Good morning, everybody. I know that there's some visitors here, so I just want to be crystal clear about one thing. I am not the regular preacher at this congregation. The regular preacher's name is Rodney Britt. Now, if you've been here a few times, you might be a little confused. A lot of people get me and Rodney mixed up because <laughs> we're almost the same height and our voices are practically identical. But I'm not Rodney. So, you ever uh, wonder what God is up to and what role he has for you to play in whatever it is he's doing? I do too, but you know, once in a while the mist kind of clears and you can see it. You can see what you're supposed to do. And this morning is one of those mornings, I believe... I'm here this morning to call this congregation to prayer. Here's what I mean. Most of you have known for several days that Rodney is sick. And some of you have been praying for him, but not all of you. But in about 15 minutes, every single person in this room is going to be praying for Rodney to get better. And (laughs) so that's... That's my, I understand, God. That's my main purpose this morning. But I, but I do have some other things I want to say. Is, is there anybody in the room this morning who doesn't know how God feels about children? If you don't know how God feels about children, please raise your hand. I was afraid of that. Everybody already knows. Maybe I don't have much to teach you. But in that case, let these scriptures just kind of just kind of wash over you this morning. Matthew 19, 13 through 15, you just heard it read. Then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Let's stop for a second. And set it up. Let's get a mental image of what's going on here. In my mind, I can imagine Jesus standing here. And there's, there's people bringing little kids to him. And where are the disciples? They're in between Jesus and these people with the little kids, right? They're standing here. And what direction are they facing? This way. And what are they doing? Are they blocking the people? Not just that, right? It says they were rebuking them. Can't you see Jesus is busy? What makes you think you can just walk up here with some little kid and have him stop all this important stuff he's doing and just pay attention to your little kid? What is wrong with you? What did Jesus say? It's amazing what he said. Let the little children come to me. He could have just stopped right there and settled the problem, right? Let those little children come to me. But that's not where he stopped. If he'd stopped right there, where would the focus have been? 
on the little children. But he went on to say, do not hinder them. Now where's the focus? (laughs) It's on these guys. Don't hinder them. But he doesn't stop there either. He goes on to say, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Now where's the focus? On God and his kingdom. Let those little kids come to me. Do not hinder them. Think about the Father's kingdom. Wow. Nothing is more important to me than blessing these kids. They may not seem important to you, but they're important to me. And interestingly, Matthew goes on to write, And he laid his hands on them and went away. And in my mind's eye, Jesus is walking away. And those disciples are still standing there trying to figure out what just happened. Luke 8, verse 46. You guys know this passage too. I know you do. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me for whoever is least among you all. Isn't that great? It's nice to know that Jesus speaks Southern. Whoever is least among you all is the one who is great. So, you want to be great in my kingdom? You want to be a big name in, in, in my kingdom? Receive a child in my name. Sounds like sort of a small thing, sort of the, the kind of thing that a small person would do, kind of out on the edge, not the people in the, in, in the boardroom. They're doing big things. And he says, no, it's not like that. You receive a little child in my name, that's a big deal to me. You do that, you're great in my book. Sort of reminds you of Matthew 25 a little bit, doesn't it? Whenever you, receive, whenever you give a, a drink to a thirsty person, you're giving a drink to me. Whenever you give some food to a hungry person, it's like you're giving food to me. Whoever receives a little child in my name receives me. It's a big deal. Well, God is especially attuned to kids in perilous circumstances. In Psalm 68, 6, he calls himself father to the fatherless. He says he places the lonely, where? In families. In Deuteronomy 10, 18, he warns us, it's a warning, that he intends to defend the cause of the fatherless. That's big. So it should come as no surprise in James chapter 1 that he would say religion that God accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after widows and orphans in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It should be at no surprise 
We all know that verse, but I misquoted it. Did anybody catch it? I said, religion that God accepts is pure and faultless. But really, the way James wrote it is religion that God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless. God calls himself our Father. Actually, of all the many names that God uses to refer to himself in Scripture, our Father is one of his favorites. But how is it that God can be our Father? I mean, Jesus is his only son, his only begotten son. Well, that's it, isn't it? God explains our status as redeemed sinners in many different ways. But one of his favorites is that we are his adopted children. You've heard... We've heard some of that already this morning. In a spiritual sense, we were fatherless. We needed a spiritual father, and he stepped up to be that father. He stepped up to adopt us, to invite us into his family. John 1, verse 11 says, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but to all who did receive him. He gave the right to become children of God. We didn't earn the right to be his children. We couldn't earn the right to be his children. No one can. No one ever will be able to. He had to give us that right. But it cost him. Adoptions can be pricey. I'm here to tell you. But the price of our spiritual adoption was unimaginably high. Galatians 4.4 When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son so that we might receive adoption as sons. He didn't send his Son to sign some papers or go before a judge. He sent his Son to die on a cross so that we might be adopted as his children. So are, are we sheep of a divine shepherd? Yes. Are, are we servants of a divine master? Yes. Are we subjects of a divine king? Yes. But we're also children of the Most High God. We can call him Father. Any of those other descriptions of our relationship to him imply grace beyond measure. But he goes further than those. We are his children. He is our father. He saw that we needed to be in his family and he paid the price, the great price, to bring us into it. Well, I came this morning to make an appeal. To make an appeal. I know you're thinking, I haven't heard any appeal yet. Well, you're getting ready to. It's going to be a strong appeal. 
It's going to be as strong as I know how to make it. I can feel those prayers for Rodney just rising right now. Are you ready? Here we go. This community, the community that we're living in, needs more Christian foster homes. It needs a lot more Christian foster homes. And my appeal is that this congregation, Northside Church of Christ, will provide as many of those Christian foster homes as we possibly can that will be as mobilized in this regard as we can possibly be. There's over 13,000 kids in Indiana who have come under state wardship for some reason or another. There's a little over 6,000 foster homes. About three-fourths of those 13,000 kids that have been removed, about thirteen. About three-fourths of those kids that are under state wardship have been removed from their parents' care. And about half of those have been placed with relatives, but the other half is in foster care. I believe, I believe that God knows every single one of those kids by name. He knows every single one of those kids by heart. I believe that our God, the one who calls himself father to the fatherless, is also their divine defender because scripture tells me that he is. From whom would he defend them? Well, he would would defend them against bad people that would do bad things to them, but not only that. They have an invisible enemy as well, the same enemy that we have who wants to steal them away and keep them from coming into God's family. He would defend them from that enemy as well. And one of the prime ways that he defends them from Satan is by mobilizing his church to care for them. He wants his adoptive children to care for these kids as well. He wants them welcomed in his name. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great that if every kid that's placed in foster care could be placed in a Christian foster home? Wouldn't that please our father? Well, I can tell you, That's not happening. It's not happening. And it's not happening because there aren't enough Christian foster homes to put them in. That's because of us. It's not happening because we, God's family, God's adopted children, are not opening our homes and our hearts to these kids Doing so would require more of us than we think we can give. Kids around us, all around us, are in crisis. Where is the church? It's not that we're not doing anything. We are. But we're also not doing everything we can do. I know these are harsh words, 
I wish I knew how to soften them, but I don't. But please, don't quit listening yet. Why, why is it that we don't have more Christian foster families? I can think of two reasons. One is, maybe, one possible reason is that our hearts are just that hard. We're just so hard of heart that we just don't care. You know, sure, those kids have problems, but I've got problems too. And I don't see anybody helping me with my problems. And I don't see why I should help them with theirs. In fact, bringing them into my house is going to make me have more problems than I've already got. And I'm just not interested. Now, that's one possible explanation, but I don't think that's the explanation here. I know you folks better than that. I don't think it's a heart problem with us. I think it's an eye problem. I think it has more to do with the way we're looking at foster care. You know, we Americans... We're individualistic. We're individuals. We're rugged individuals. We deal with our own problems and we stand on our own two feet. We look at everything we do as individuals and it's hard for us to look at things like this as a church. We see foster care, we tend to see foster care as an, as an individual or at least an individual family's ministry. Well, there's a problem with looking at it that way. Hang with me here. If we see it as something an individual may or may not be called to do, then if there's a reason why you can't do it, you can say, well, it's a good thing to do, but I can't do it. The problem is, all of us have reasons why we can't do it. I do too. I'm not doing it either. And because each of us has an individual reason, an, an obstacle that we individually can't see how we can, we can remove, we don't do it. As a consequence, none of us do it. As a, Hardly any of us do it. As a consequence, the church doesn't do it much. Certainly not as much as we could. I've talked with a lot of you. I know your reasons. They're good reasons. They're good, solid reasons. But if we looked at it as something the church was called to do, the whole church, the family of God, all of us together, we're called to do this. It's different. It looks different. We're not called to do it individually. We're called to do it together. If we know the church is called to it, and I believe it is, then we know there's a way for us to do it. We know there's a way for us to do what God wants us to do. We just have to find it. We have to look for it together. We have to find it together. And then we have to do it together. So it's a, it's a, I think our, it's a, it's an eye problem. It's not a heart problem. 
I would never try to convince you that your reasons for not fostering are invalid. That fostering is really easier than you think it is. On the contrary, I know fostering is hard. I, I know personally it's hard. If you haven't ever done it before, it's harder than you think. It's way harder than you think. You've got reasons not to do it that you don't even know about yet. <laughs> but that's not the way, that's not the way to look at it. What if fostering was a church-wide ministry? A ministry to which the church has already been called, a ministry in which each of us has a part to play, whether we have foster kids in our home or not. What if it was like that? I'm going to stop here and tell you a little story. There's a, there's a little church. It's a Christian church in a town about, I don't know, 30 miles away from us. Beautiful story unfolding there. A couple of years ago, a lady there felt really convicted by the Holy Spirit that she needed to be a foster mom. But she had an obstacle. It was a, it's a big obstacle. It was a solid, substantial obstacle. Her husband didn't want to do it. But she was convinced. She was compelled. So she started praying. She's praying. She's praying, God, how, what do I do? Well, she meets another mom in the church who has come under similar conviction. Well, this lady, this second lady, her husband is, is, is good to go. He's, he's in on it too. But they've got a problem too. They've got two problems actually. One is they've got kids already and their house is full. They don't have any, any more bedroom space for any more kids. Well, that's, that's a problem, but there's more. They're, the husband, he's a manager of a big box store. And uh, he's making lots of money, but he's working a lot. 70-hour weeks common for him. And even when he's home, he's taking calls all the time. He realizes that if, if he and his wife are going to foster, there's going to have to be a major change in his vocation. He can't keep working like that. He's going to have to get a 40-hour-a-week job where when you clock out, you're out. That's going to, that's going to involve a pay cut. So here's the deal. They need a bigger house, but the, he's, he's looking for a job where he'll make less money. So, so now they're all praying. God, how can we do this? How can this work? We know you want us to, but we can't figure out how to do it. Lo and behold, somebody else in the church comes up to them and says, I can't really have foster kids in my house, but I've got some money. Tell you what, you two, you go find a house that'll work. Let me know, and I'll buy it for you. I'll put it in my name. I'll put the mortgage in my name. I'll put the down payment up. You 
pay me whatever rent you think you can pay, the church then stepped up to make up the difference so that between the rent and the, and the church subsidy, he could make his mortgage payment, and the deal is when the mortgage is paid off, the church will own the house. So they did it. I've been there. I've met this couple. I've met their kids. I've been in this house. God put that together. That original lady that, whose husband said no, what, what he did agree to was to be a respite, to get licensed as a respite home, a respite foster, foster home. What that means is once a month, they take the foster kids from this other couple and have them for the weekend. And they have a ball working together. These, the, the state put th- a sibling group of three, <laughs> a sibling group of three into this, this home. These kids were rowdy kids. They, they were rowdy, but the church just wrapped around them. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. They had these kids for a little over a year, as I recall. Now they just, they had, they had a month or two off, and now the state's put some new kids in their home. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing that's going on in this church. None of this could have happened if everybody was looking at it as, a, as an individual ministry that if they couldn't do individually, they, it just couldn't be done. Do you see what I'm saying? This is a church thing. And when we look at it as a church thing, it makes, it, it makes all the difference. Did anybody here read Christianity Today? magazine been around a long time. I think it was started by Billy Graham back in the day. Christianity Today. I like to read it. Always at the end of it, there's some, somebody's telling their story, giving their testimony. This most recent edition, I read it a couple of weeks ago, there was an article that the testimony this time was from a young lady whose name is Tori Peterson. She was a, she'd been a foster kid. She grew up in foster care. Her mom had some pretty severe mental problems. Her dad was AWOL. Her heart ached for a father. She had lots and lots of problems. She was placed in foster homes, in and out of group homes. She had 11 failed placements. 11 failed placements. Placements. She's heard and she's she's been exposed to church enough by then to know. You guys say there's a God; He can do anything. Why doesn't He send my Father to rescue me from this? Why can't He send my Dad to save me, to get me out of this mess? She wasn't sure she had any time to believe in a God that wouldn't do that. But finally, she was placed with a young single lady not much older than she was, her 12th placement, and that's when it finally clicked. That's when she realized she'd had a father all along and he had sent someone to save her, but it wasn't her bio dad. It was Jesus. She came to Christ. Twelfth placement. 
Now she's grown up. She's in her mid-twenties, I guess. She's written a book about finding Jesus through foster care. And she has a ministry counseling foster parents. But there was one line in that article that really jumped off the page to me. I want to read it for you. My single foster mom took me to church every Sunday, and I appreciated that her church made a point of supporting foster families and their children. Tori's final foster mom did a wonderful thing, but she didn't do it by herself. Did you catch that? She did it with her church. The whole church was doing it. Her church wrapped around this foster mom and wrapped around little Tori and brought her to Jesus. This church knew how to do foster care together. Who wouldn't want to be in a story like that? One other aspect of Tori's story is worth spending a little time on. Who among us would be willing to be the 12th foster placement for a teenager with lots of problems? Point is, not all foster kids are little and cute and cuddly. But they all need Jesus. Let's not hinder the Tories out there because we're only interested in little, cute, and cuddly. Imagine you're driving down a road out in the country. It's a stormy night, lightning. You come around a corner. There's a, there's a big pole that's been hit, and it's laying down across the road. A bunch of cars have already stopped. People have gotten out of the cars, and they're trying to lift this pole off the road. You look, and there's nine guys trying to lift this end of the pole, and there's one guy, one lonely guy trying to lift that end of the pole. You decide, I'm going to help them. Where do you go? Do you go over here or do you go over here? I asked Jen Fister, who's in charge of the the foster part of Child Place, the foster care part of Child Place. She trains and licenses and credentials um, foster families. I asked her, if you could wave a magic wand and create a magic wand and create any kind of foster home what kind would you create here's what she said this email I'm going to read it to you we are in great need of homes that can provide care for larger sibling groups three to six children and for teenagers our greatest challenge is to find foster homes for teen males Oftentimes. Siblings are split between foster homes due to lack of homes able to take placement of numerous children. That's this end of of the pole. When Jesus talks about the least of these, maybe he's also talking about the least little, the least cute the least cuddly.
we as a church, we can do the hard stuff if we learn to work together. You may be wondering, is this just an idea for, for me? What, what am I actually going to do with it myself? It's a reasonable question. I can tell you Lisa and I are trying hard. We're trying hard to th- imagine. And we've been foster parents before, but it was, I don't know, 30 years ago, more than that. We're wiser now, but we're a lot older too. We get tired a lot a lot quicker. Keep, keep a little side do sometimes, and when he takes a nap, I take one too. So, you know, we can sort of vaguely see possibly, uh, we can sort of imagine it, us being foster parents again, but I can tell you right now, we're going to need help. If God wants us to have foster kids in our house, we're going to need some help, and we're going to need some help from you. So, okay, James, what do you want us to do? What are some practical next steps? Okay, first the most practical thing you can do is pray. It's the most practical, fundamental next step you can possibly take is to pray about this. And in specific, I, would, I know a lot of you are praying about Rodney. In specific, I would encourage you to pray collectively about this. Pray together with other people. Remember the story I told about the other church. Pray impudently. Remember Jesus told a story about a man begging his neighbor for bread in the middle of the night. And the man didn't give it because he was his friend. He gave it because of his impudence. Let's pray impudently about this. There's a group of us that pray at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings. And let's... We have a flat tire or something like that. Church library, 9 o'clock, Sunday mornings. Come together. Let's get together. Let's lift up our voices together. God, show us how to do this. Show us how we can do this. I won't be there next Sunday because I'm going to be preaching a sermon pretty much like this at a little town about 30 miles north of here. Typically, I'll be there. If you can already sort of vaguely imagine that you could maybe have foster kids in your home, but you see some barriers, come and talk to me. Let's talk about it. If you're just pretty sure God does not want foster kids in your home, but there's something you can do, that you might be able to remove a barrier for somebody else. Be a respite parent. Be a tutor. Help with transportation. There's just all kinds of other things you can do. 
Come and talk to me about that too. That church I mentioned earlier, they're hosting a community awareness event August 30. Be a great chance to come and hear their story. Find out more about what God did in that community. I'll be going. I'd love to take a group with me. But mainly, let's let God do this. Let's help lift the heavy end of the log. Let's receive these kids in Jesus' name. We're the, we Christians are the only ones that can. Only Christian foster homes can receive these kids in Jesus' name. Jesus wants to put his hands on these kids and bless them. If anybody is hindering them, may it not be us. Let's not hinder with our hearts. Let's not hinder with our eyes. Let's not hinder at all. Let's be the people who are bringing the kids to Jesus instead. Let's be great in the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, this is this is a big, big thing that we've been talking about this morning. We know it's close to your heart. We know that your desire is that every one of these kids who are caught up in these in these situations that they didn't create. Your desire is for every one of them to come to you. It's what your word tells us. And Father, if there's a part that we can play in that, that just seems too big to us, I'm praying that you, you will show us what to do about that? That you will just, you will, you will convict us. You'll inspire us. You'll lead us. You'll, you'll put us together like, like you did back in Acts 2 and Acts 4. And you, you help us to see that everything we have, we have it together. Everything we do, we're going to do it together. Show the world what perfect unity looks like. That's what we're asking of you, Father. We're going to keep asking. And we can't wait to see what you do about it. That's our prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.